Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are chatting with Stacey Rukeyser, an award-winning creator, showrunner, and executive producer whose new show is the Netflix hit Sex Life. Stacey also uh, was the showrunner and executive producer for the critically acclaimed award-winning drama Unreal. And her other writing credits include the Golden Globe award-winning series Without a Trace, as well as Crash, One Tree Hill, October Road, Standoff Greek, and The Lion Game. She's amazing. She's amazing. (laughs) So Stacey has worked at all levels of the TV writer's room and can speak to what the current environment in TV writer's rooms look like. Welcome to the show, Stacey. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's so great to have you. Stacey's one of my favorite people, so I'm just especially thrilled that she's with us here. Um, but before we, she's, she's, she's agreed to do um, uh, Adventures in Screenwriting and what her week was like. Um, Lauren, do you want to start? I will start. So uh, my week is much the same as it's been in that I'm in post um, on the show and uh, sort of uh, working through the edits, looking at animation, sort of putting all the pieces together and it's going off to the network, which is very exciting. That's um, and exciting. I'm also um, wrangling with a pitch. So trying to figure out my way in, um, sort of emotionally, like external stakes, internal stakes, sort of, I had a realization earlier today when I was talking with Meg and uh, sort of feeling more and more excited about it and feeling closer and closer to what it might be. But I was really excited today because I found the inside, instead of the outside version of it, but the inside access. So like, oh, I can actually personally connect to this on several levels. So I feel like I can tell the story with uh, emotional integrity as well as the storytelling piece of it. So I feel really excited. Um, That being said, who knows what'll happen this weekend when I keep working on it. But (laughs) so um, I uh, I feel good about the work I did this week which is saying awesome. something because usually I get to Friday and I'm like, well, I don't know what happened this week. Oh, how many versions now I've lost count. Good news is though, the director is available because he was busy with another movie and suddenly he's in and he's helping us. And he's and sometimes just having the director go, yeah, I don't want to go that direction. You're like, great, knock that off. Like it's so much helpful to have a shoot to go down, right? I still have to emotionally connect to it and be able to think I can write it. And all of that is still at play, but So that's been great. And the best thing is that happened this week is that a passion project that I've been talking to our audience about how I keep not writing, I wrote and I finished a draft and I hit the send button and I sent it to my producers and my manager and they got back to me and they said the word love. Yay. That's now, amazing. I know. Okay. You guys course, have had very productive weeks. <laughs> I just want to say you are doing I know. So normally, much. normally my our weeks are like we didn't do this and this similar, <laughs> but this was actually a strange week. But here's the funny thing: like when people say love, I don't believe it at all. Because I'm like, that word gets thrown around Hollywood, like, but they actually could cite I love this and this and this scene. And when he did that, like when people start talking about it as if 
they're they seen the show or they're excited about it. It's still an impossible show to get made. And I know that. And then they are like, and we have to figure out how we could ever get this made. And I'm like, I totally know that. But here's the great thing. Suddenly, I was so afraid of not writing the show because I didn't think it would sell. But they said, well, number one, you light up when you talk about it. And number two, now I'm realizing even if just these three people read it, I'm okay. Because it was so fun to have them receive it and talk about the characters that I was like, oh, even if it's just a good sample, it was worth the time to do it. So I'm just, every, you know, everybody's been listening to me for a year talk about not writing this thing. So jump in, write your passion projects, people. It's worth it. Don't worry about if it'll sell or not. Write it. That's my advice for today yeah. until, you know, but next I, week. But. but I want you to describe for our audience what it looked like when you pushed the send button on your keyboard. Okay, well, you, but it's not visual, but literally it was one hand on top of the other hand pushing my finger down because <laughs> it's my passion project. So I care about it so much that for people not to get it or like it was much scarier. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes when it's an assignment or, and you're finding your way in, if people don't like it, you're going to like, yeah, we'll figure it out. But when it's your kind of gut and hole in your, your passion, but like, I love it so much. I was so afraid to send it. <laughs> I was so afraid, but I did it because you got to do it. You got to hit that send button, people. You just got to write it and hit send. That's what I'm advice for the week. Um, Stacy, well, how was your say, week? Yeah, I have to say what I love listening to you guys is there's so much joy when you're talking about writing. And that's so lovely because I often only feel that joy after pushing send you know there's that famous quote that's been attributed to many different people it's like you know I like having written you know I don't like writing I like having written and and look there's something fun to the sort of the free write stage where you're just you know in a in a word processing document or even if you're in final draft but you're just kind of writing random thoughts and and that's really fun but it's hard you know and I'm this week in in the room breaking story and it's hard you know breaking story is the hardest part and um and and it's a it's a it's a puzzle because you have you know each piece leads to the next and if you change one thing it changes another and I was you know just just struggling with this scene that we had fallen in love with in a, a sort of former version, you know, but really fallen in love with the scene and what it what it reveals about this character and how it's almost an origin story for the character and how great it is. But then the rest of the story around it has sort of changed. And so we're trying to still fit this scene in because we and the executives and everybody loves it, but it's really, really hard. And, 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 you know, I am used to also having like a big whiteboard where you're at least like putting out, okay, these are the big points, the big steps within a scene. And now everything is on zoom. And so it's like, you're just looking into so much harder. camera. Yeah. And, so and much harder. computer, but it's, um, you know, I find it hard to sort of knock off at the end of the night and leave a problem there because you have, until you push send, you have a problem. I mean, especially when you're in the, in break, in the breaking story stage, it's, it's not all sorted, you know? And if you have children, which I do, then you really do have to just stop and go home and deal with these people. And I guess even if you don't have children, you need to go eat or whatever, go to bed at a certain point, but it's hard to sleep. It's hard to sleep when you don't have it figured out and you don't know how to fix it, you know, and that is really hard. And of course, what you should do in those situations is go to sleep and really just start fresh in the morning. And I found like, I was just 
you know, driving this morning to like a doctor's appointment in the morning and, 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 and on the way to the doctor's appointment, I was like, oh, you could do this, you could do that. And it was like, because I was fresh, you know, and, and had sort of knocked off for the night, you know, so that's, that's sort of where I am. And I'm, after I'm done talking to you guys, I'm going to have to go take my own advice and just be like, yes, have a drink, whatever it's Friday night, you know, (laughs) Um, right. And because sometimes you do get that answer later, right? Like I once had that, I get anxious. I have you said so full of anxiety because I can't figure it out and my brain won't let it go. And then finally I was like, oh, I just have to let it go. And like the next day in the shower, I was like, oh my God. I literally was yeah. one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, that that would actually, but it's still turning around unconsciously. It's still working. I, I, I totally get that anxiety. And the truth is I've been half writing this passion project for a year full of anxiety about it. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go work on that other thing, right? Because I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. So I totally hear you on that. It, that yeah. Same. I totally agree. This uh, pitch I'm working on, I've been, I feel backed into a corner on it. Like I have to solve it. I have to solve it. The pitch is coming up. I have to solve it. And then today, just that slight little unlock, that little crack of the door that opened, I'm like, rush through it. Even if it's not the thing, it's something that I can get out of that corner. You know, so that's why it feels like joy and relief. Like one tiny piece of this is solved, but you know, it's still you know, I and I hear you too, Stacey, on that, like I'm working on a feature and it is partly that it's based on IP and that people on the team like certain pieces of the IP, but the IP isn't a movie and it's that transition, like do, you know, and I'm suddenly realizing, wait a minute, that this piece A and piece B that everybody agrees we have to have, they actually don't go, don't together. go together. Yeah. That's like, really hard. Yeah. They actually cancel each other out and you're like, yeah. shit. And the director really wants both pieces. And I'm like, Oh, so I'm literally spending so much time going over these arcs, trying to make these two pieces work and coming to like this kind of like, Oh man, I just don't think they work together to the point that it's going to be like, do you want this road or this road? Because these two pieces are actually different arcs and movies. Yeah. So which road it's tricky. It's really tricky. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then add to that, this desire, which I admire and, and I also believe in that you want to find your personal way into the story that you're writing, even if it is an assignment, even if it is based on IP. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, cause again, it's like, what are we doing if we're not doing that? But, but it's also hard when you serve many masters, you know, like there are people who are saying, this is what we want. And then you're trying to find your way within that. It's, you know, this writing is the hardest job. It's like, it's the most fun because it's our creation and our story, but it's really hard. Like, I just think it's, it's just, you know, it's way harder than, I mean, and you know, people, people would argue. Credit for. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We need more credit for what we do. Go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. I was gonna, no, you're fine. I was just going to say, it's interesting, Stacy. here talking, hearing you talk about like making, it's tricky to leave your work, especially when you're breaking the story right now, but I wonder too if that has to do with not having a room to go to. Like, I feel like there's something ceremonial about like closing the door to the room and getting in a car and driving. And like, I wonder if that has to do with kind of the fact that it's just always lingering. That's interesting. That's 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 very interesting. I mean, but the same thing would be true in a in a physical room. We would have to just say we got to call it here, you know, at a certain time and say we don't have it. Everybody's fried. 
you know, because trust me, I've worked on shows where the showrunner doesn't call it and instead they call for dinner and then you're ordering it and then you're you're staying and you're banging your head against the wall and that's just worse, you know. Um, but I do find like our electronic world, as I'll call it now, really hard. It's just really, I know everybody not everybody, but a lot of people are happy that they can just stay in their pajamas all day and, and never leave the house. But just for that intangible, like judge of whatever it is, like between people and, and, and sometimes that means just, um, it's so much easier to be on the same page with another person for whom you're describing the scene or the idea that it's like, you'll find like, oh, it's just, I'm not, we're not connecting in the same way or something like that. Um, and you're all staring at the same whiteboard. I do think that's important as you mm -hmm. bang your head against the wall, because, you know, I've, I've had the great opportunity to be in a room with Stacy and watch you show run and your whiteboard, and then you're writing down options and circling things and that we're all kind of staring at the same thing and all definitely focused on that same thing versus our own face, which I find really <laughs> That is um, true. That is true. That is true. But look, it's better than not working in COVID. That's what I always say. Yeah, yeah, better, yeah. yeah. Better not than a not complaint. Not yeah. a complaint. Yeah. But we have some questions for you that we have ourselves. And then we have some listener questions because we have okay, a Facebook amazing. page and we let them know you were going to be on it. Everybody got very excited. Oh, how lots exciting. Of questions. So, um... So, you know, of course, uh, you know, a question I'm sure you've gotten in the past, but it, it's always good for people to hear about how you broke into the business. Totally. So, um, I mean, there's a longer story and then there's a shorter story. I mean, I was an actress before I was a writer um, and I was not a very successful actress. And um, and then and and I I went to see a screening of a of a sort of terrible B movie that I was in with my agent at the time. And, and he said, you know, Stace, um, you're booking jobs, which was frankly pretty generous of him because I really wasn't booking that many jobs as an actress, but he said, but nothing's really changing. We need to do something to make a change. Have you ever thought about writing anything? And I said, oh, actually, in fact, I have been thinking about writing this thing. It was an adaptation of a book. That's a longer story. And I sort of pitched out the story for him. And he said, it's great. It's great. And he said, just write it. Um, he gave me great license. He said, just write it. Even if it's shitty, just write it. And, um, and then he was the total agent because he said, um, just take two weeks and write it. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, so of course it did not just take two weeks, but what happened over the course of that was incredibly sort of transformational on the personal level that I was like, Oh my God, I'm a writer. I'm not an actress. And, and, you know, I, I just, felt like I was snapping back into who I really was as a person and like as an actress in LA like I'm a brunette but like my hair had gotten like highlighted and increasingly more highlighted the longer I was in LA and until people were like talking about the blonde and I was like who are they talking about and they were like oh it's you and so like the day or the, the same week that I finished the script I dyed my hair back to brown it was like really like right. this is who you really are and so nothing has ever happened with that script I mean it, it got optioned at that time which like you know, not for a lot of money or anything, um, but it was enough of an encouragement to sort of keep me going. And the fact that that acting agent liked it, you know, right. and thought it was good. Of course, now I'm like, what did he know? But, um, <laughs> but the fact that he liked it. But so then I sort of feeling high on the hog from like my script was optioned. Um, I walked into his office and said, well, now I have an idea for a TV show. 
And back then, especially, that was not how things were done. Like now there are a lot of new writers who are getting to pitch and, and create TV shows much earlier in their career. But, you know, 20 years, it was more than 20 years ago. But but um, back then, you really just started by going on staff of somebody else's television show and writing for them and learning how to do it and working your way up and then getting to a point where someone actually wanted to um, make a television show with you. And so, but that ended up also getting optioned by Spelling, Aaron Spelling, <laughs> tells you how long ago it was. But, um, and similarly, nothing ever happened with that um, show either. But in the course of it, I found that I really liked writing for television even more than I liked writing film, because I liked that you could, you didn't have to decide like the one way to tell the story. You could tell one story one week and you could tell another story the next week. And so then I just said, well, how do you go about getting a job as a television writer? Like, how do you go on staff of someone's show and work your way up and all of that? And so for me, you know, I applied to all the fellowship programs that, that the different studios and networks have. And I got into the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop and that is really what kickstarted my career. And, you know, it, it, for me, it was an incredible program. They are the ones who hooked me up with my writing agent. And um, they also introduced us to a whole bunch of showrunners um, and executive producers. And I met Ed Redlick, who was um, the showrunner of Without a Trace, which was the, the it was just that had been a pilot and was then ordered to series. And then, and then I got a job. And, and what I will say is that when he came in to talk to the group, um, I, I just thought he seemed like such a cool guy. I mean, the stories that he had to tell and who he was as a person, I was like, that's the kind of guy that I'd like to, to work for. And I wrote him a thank you note, like for coming in and how nice it was. And I talked a little bit about what I had liked about what he said. And I got in big trouble because the people who ran the program were like, you are not supposed to write thank you notes. You know, you're not supposed to bother these people, whatever. And, um, and then they were like, but now he wants to read your script. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. And so I, I'm, I'm always very encouraging of people, you know, reaching out. You're not always going to get a response. You're not always going to get someone who says, well, now I want to read your script. But I also think that writers, I mean, you know, we don't get a lot of fan mail that way, you know? And I also like the other piece of fan mail that I wrote was to Eric Overmeyer who is a writer producer and he's, he did a, he was on Law and Order at the time. He's done a lot of other procedural stuff, but he wrote this play called On the Verge, which I had loved so much. And it was, um, I produced it in New York and I was in it as an actress at this tiny little like off-Broadway theater. And I saw his name like on Law and Order or something. And I sent it just to the production office. And he was like, do you want to get lunch? You know, so like these people, like, you know, maybe times are different now, but it just seemed like, you know, I agree with you. Impact. Yeah. <laughs> Writer, writers do not get fan mail. So I yeah. think that that's, yeah. that's a real thing. That's a real yeah. thing. <laughs> the thing I will say, the thing you don't want to do, because I get a bunch of these is like um, direct messages on social media where people say, I have this great project and can I send it to you and can you read it and stuff no. like that. And that is, that is so far beyond what you want to do, but just saying like, you're cool. I liked your stuff is, um, is different, yes. but I will also just say like the fellowship programs, I think really are important, you know? Um, and I also, aside from being introduced to my agent and being introduced to these showrunners, I also learned like how to write one hour drama, you know? And obviously that's not something I learned just in the time that I was there, but at least I got a very a firm foundation. And structure yeah, and character great. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Hey everyone, so the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out. And you know, the question's going around, is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot and I wanna see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or you know if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. And you mentioned earlier times may have changed. Like what has changed, do you think, uh, in terms of that system? Well, I think that there is, well, two things. Number one, I think that there's just, there's so many more shows. Like there's just so much more opportunity. And what that does mean is that people who are at an earlier stage in their career are creating television shows. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the times they're getting paired with another showrunner who has more experience, sometimes not, but um, it's not so unusual to have a young writer with a pitch, particularly if it's very personal to them and you know, they're certainly if it's autobiographical, but if there's some other reason why like this is very special with this person, they can get a chance to, to, to make it. And, and I, I think it's a, it's a balancing act because I spent, you know, 19 years on staff before I had my own show that was, that was picked up. Yeah. And, and I was running other shows that I had not created myself, but this was the first time it was my own creation. And so what's good about that is by the time I was actually creating, you know, running the, the show that I had created, I really knew what I was doing. And um, I was very experienced both as a writer and a producer. But on the flip side, there were many, many years in there where I was dying to create my own stuff. And I had at first, you know, agents who were saying, you know, be patient, don't do that, like learn what you're doing, work your way up. And I think it's a real balancing act. Like what I tell writers is you should be doing both. You should be doing everything you can to get on staff um, and, you know, meet other writers and, and learn how to write the media. And also, yes, be working on your own material. I think there's the trend now is that no one is writing spec scripts of current shows as we used to like you know and I, I don't I don't know what it is to get to the Warner Brothers program um, these days but it used to be that you wrote a spec of an existing show and I wrote a law and order and then when I was there I wrote a Gilmore Girls this tells you what the time period that it was <laughs> but um but I've already said 19 years so um but um 
But I think that it's hugely important to write sex of existing shows. I feel like that's the job. The job is to write in the voice of the showrunner, you know, and like, you know, one of my writers was saying like, to speak Stacy, like, can you speak Stacy, you know? And, and, and I'm always, you know, like really encouraged when people can say like, oh, I see how rhythmically you like to do this thing in your storytelling or something like that. And that's what you're looking for. And, and, um, and then yes, you should have original material because then people want to read that and they want to see like, who are you and, you know, what floats your boat or whatever, what are you kind of interested in? But only reading original material to me doesn't a hundred percent tell you will they be able to do this job, right. you know? It's like, you see what they like, but can they write what you like, you know? So it's a balance. I think there has to be both. And the, the second thing that to answer your question about what's happening in the business that I think is a real shame that's happening in the business is that production is being separated from the time of the writer's room. And so your writers are not getting any experience in actually making the show. And I think that is incredibly dangerous because by the time you got to be like, even a supervising producer, let's just say. So you've gone from staff writer, story editor, executive story editor, co-producer, producer, supervising producer. You've produced so many episodes of television by that point. And so you can be relied on to, you know, go to production meetings, to do casting, to be the person on set, to do, you know, rewrites with the actors, to even, you know, um, edit the cuts, you know, or give notes on the cuts at least. And so what's happening now is that let's just even say you did work your way up on staff to that point, and then you got your own show, but you may have never done all of the things that are now being asked of you. And, um, and so, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't realize they were doing that. That's not great. Yeah. And then the showrunner is left by him or herself to produce the entire show and edit the entire show all by themselves. And that's, that's not great either. And I know it's like, oh, poor showrunners, you have your own show, you have to do all that work, but it's, it's challenging. It's not a great system. And the other thing that I think is dangerous about that system is that um, if you start to have a lot of creators who don't know what they're doing or don't know how to produce it, they will take that power away from the writer and they will right. give it either to a director or to a non-writing producer or something like that. And that is one of the huge joys of television is that we are showrunners and that we are the producers and that we do like have that vision for a show as if it's a novel, you know, it's many episodes, many chapters. We know what it all means coming together and how to wrap it in that envelope. So I just really think, you know, I don't know that there's anything that our writers guild can do about it, but I sure hope they do. Yeah, I do too. That was one of my favorite parts of working on that show with you is, and it was going so fast that literally it was like, let's do a truth or dare show. And it felt like the next day, knock, knock, knock. We got some snakes downstairs. You want to go? And I'm like, what? And then you walk down and you could, and we got stuck in a part in the script. And uh, my partner at the time and I, we could walk into the set and walk around it and think about it. Like it was so part of the experience. Yeah. Um, I'm sad that the writers aren't getting that anymore. That's not good. I totally agree. Well, and I will say like, since that show that you and I did together, like it's been a long time since I've shot a show in Los Angeles even, you know? Right. So there's so much that's happening in Canada or in Albuquerque or in Austin or wherever. Right. So you wouldn't have that same experience of like, let's just go walk the set, you know? Right, because you used to. Fly so, there. Yeah. Um, what I other, a, oh, go ahead. Oh, I have a question. What yeah. other kind of big changes like that have you noticed? 
well, I think on the plus side, what's exciting about there being so many outlets is that, you know, there is a wider diversity of stories being told, you know? I mean, I think 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, you know, um, I can remember pitching a show and being told it's too female. And, um, you know, that I was pitching to Lifetime, you know, television for women. So if oh it's too, yeah, if it's too female for Lifetime, like it was, a, it was a show about a women's health clinic. And then there were going to be like four, patient stories that continued over the course of the season. And so it was like, well, could it not be a women's health clinic? Could it just be a regular health clinic? Or could the doctor not be a woman herself? Could it be a male doctor in a women's health clinic? And I was like, hmm. And, um, and I'm sure there's some algorithm somewhere that was telling them like that that's too much of a narrow focus, which speaks to a broader issue that we should be teaching boys to watch shows and films with female protagonists, but that's a different soapbox that I will be on. But I will say like, you know, sex life, for example, is so female forward. It's like just, you know, a female protagonist, a female predicament. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always surprised when they tell us like what percentage it is of the viewers that are women that I was thinking it was gonna be 99.9%. Like I was surprised that it wasn't more. But my point is, is like, there's an opportunity to tell a story that is so female forward, you know? And I think Certainly there's more diversity, not just gender, you know, diversity, but, you know, and, and not just racial diversity, but just all sorts of different points of view. And that's really exciting that there are so many different, you know, kinds of shows like that's, that's kind of a good thing. But, you know, then you got to find writers to, to write on your show. I think this is a very good time, actually, to be a writer who wants to be on staff of somebody else's show. I just think there are more jobs than ever. Sure, they're going to be a shorter period of time than they were before. Like maybe it's gonna be, you know, like, you know, a 15 week room before they go into production, then you don't get to go into the production or whatever, but you get to be writing, you know? And I think that um, just, there are a lot of jobs. Yeah, that is good. I wanna go back to sex life and the female forward for a minute, because one thing I love about the show, and you did a, you did an amazing article for talkhouse.com, which we're going to post on the Facebook page for everybody to read. Oh, cool. um, and, you know, you talked, you were talking about women desire, which the show, of course, has is centered, uh, not centered, but has an aspect of sexual desire. But, you know, of course, it's bigger than that. It's us having wants and needs. And um, I have found, and I've talked about on the show that for writers, especially women, sometimes finding the want, the character to even have a want is why this story isn't working because we've been so indoctrinated that we don't even know what a want is anymore. And I would love you to talk about women, especially it goes to anybody, but women, especially wanting and how, and how that went into your show. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's so great. Um, well, I do think that, you know, Billy, our, our lead character is someone who has given up <laughs> a lot of her wants, you know, she, she, she gave up her PhD program when she got married and then she gave up working at all and she had two kids and, and it seemed like the right decision. And, and, and for many people, it's absolutely the right decision, but she's left there going like, Hmm, not so sure. And, um, and also she's someone who had a, who did have a big sexual appetite and it kind of got her into a little bit of trouble. And, and then she really like 
put all that in a box. Like it's, you know, a big part of what we've talked about, about her upbringing, but it's, it's a societal thing that many people hear regardless of their parents, which is that women, you know, don't be a slut and, you know, lower your number of the number of guys you've had sex with and don't talk about your sexual history and, you know, be a good girl and be marriage worthy. And, you know, that like you get the, the prize then of a good husband. And, you know, it's also been interesting to see the reaction from many viewers who are very kind of angry at Billy for not just being satisfied with what she has, you know, because she has a rich husband, not just a nice husband, but a rich husband and two healthy children. And sure that husband, like she's kind of become invisible to him <laughs> and he, you know, pays more attention to the baby than her and watches TV over her, her shoulder during sex. But, but still look at that house, look at that cute man, look at those kids, like that should be enough. And so, you know, women don't really talk about like that. That was really interesting to hear from women who say like, I've felt like this. I've felt like where did this other girl go that I used to be and who am I now? But I have been too scared to say it out loud because I didn't want to sound ungrateful. And so like, and it's true. It's like, and, and what we're trying to say is like, it is possible to be incredibly grateful for all of the blessings that you have and to still want more. And that know? can be to be wanting to be a writer, right? Like some emerging writer women are being told, well, you have a good job. You know, why do you want to do this writing thing? And then it can bleed into your character so that your story isn't working like have you ever did you ever make a transition from having inactive or characters without agency to characters actually wanting something and driving the story oh or yeah all the time because also when you just are um looking for straight up drama like stuff to happen um that can often be reactive it can be like well then i don't know somebody dies or whatever yeah. you know <laughs> or or right. and it's not like oh, she makes a decision to go after what she wants. You know what I mean? Um, and I think um, it's tricky because so much of this conflict for women is internal. You know, it's like, it's an identity question, you know? And so it's a question of like, how do you um, dramatize that? You know, because you do, even if you have voiceover, you know, as, as we do in the show, like, you know, that shouldn't be the only thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I think that, um, uh, you know, and it, it's not just dramatizing having wants, but it's also dramatizing the um, obstacle of other people not thinking that you should have those wants. You know yes. what I mean? Like, how does that, you know, let's just take your example of like the person who has a very, like, and this is, I think, everyone who has parents who, you know, who's, who's, who, whose parents are like, oh my God, you're trying for a career in Hollywood. Like, why are you doing that? You, you got a good degree from college or whatever. You could just go work for, you know, whoever, you know, some bank or I don't know what, you know, some, some company and, and have a perfectly good life. Like, oh, why are you doing that? And how does that manifest itself? And how do they, you know, fight against that. But I will just say, you know, it's a slow death otherwise, you know, and that's, 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 you know, it was so important to me with sex life, like, like the sort of explosive ending, which, you know, I knew like half the people would be 
screaming at her and saying like this is like spoiler alert or whatever but um that half the people would be like no stay with your husband like be happy with what you have what are you doing go back and then half the people would be like yes girl go and like living vicariously through her and and it was really really important to me that it was framed in that way that she was trying to be good trying to be good trying to be good trying to be good trying to do what everybody said and then i cannot do it anymore you know and men do that in stories all the time all the time awesome. they had to do bad things yeah but but we are harder on women I mean you know even women are harder on women I think and particularly mothers my god you're not supposed to do anything wrong <laughs> but uh, I think that's the final frontier honestly mothers yeah. being you know following their own agency and their own wants that it oh, freaks yeah. people out yeah and I will say in that first feature that I wrote there is a scene where a mother leaves her child and it was a baby and she's like crazy at this moment right she's she's losing her mind in this moment when she does this but it was like this movie will never be made unless you change this and she takes her baby with her crazy though she may be she needs to take her baby with her and I was like wow that's interesting so now I'm just obsessed with trying to find some piece of art where the mother leaves her child or something. I mean, it would not be painted as like, and here's the way you should live your life. And this is right. what you should do. But I think it's just profoundly interesting. I mean, I remember, you know, like, like I would, before I was actually a mother, I would see like TV or, or film where like, maybe the mother child was thinking of driving off into the sunset or whatever. And I was like, how could they leave their child? Like, you know, cause this now had been ingrained in my head of like, you know, this student can never do that. And then I can remember like some stressful times and like dropping the kids off at school and then being like, oh, I could just keep driving. <laughs> Is that fantasy? Of course I never did, you know. No, of course, yeah. but you're, cause you're I a human was, being yeah. and, you're, and it's hard and messy. And we have moments of despair and we have moments of I need to keep driving but of course we don't and I what I love too about your show is and I and I sent you this email after I watched the pilot because I just think it's such a beautiful blend of aspirational and authentic and you're a you're this so hard to do man so hard to do and then playing with that by the end right of what is aspirational and just her view of things um can you talk a little bit about that in terms of how you found that balance? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because when I first was developing the show with Netflix, her present day environment was not as aspirational as it actually <laughs> turned out in the end. Like in my lookbook, um, the pictures are from Tully, if you know that movie, the mm -hmm. Charlize Theron movie, which I think is a great movie, but it's a much more honest I would say or authentic look at those postpartum months and how messy and 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 she's messy and you know and everything and it was a note from from Irene Lee who was our sort of prime mover on the development side she said we want to make the present day just as wish fulfillment as the past and I said Oof, this is a little tricky because if you make it so good then people are going to say, well, why is she complaining, you know, and she should just, you know, why is she thinking about her old boyfriend? And so, but what's interesting is that I said that even knowing that in the first episode, her husband was ignoring her and not paying attention to her in sex and, you know, all of these things. And even so, I, as the writer was going like, well, let's be careful because if the house is too pretty, then she maybe should just shut her mouth and be good with it or whatever, you know? Um, but the, but the reason that I think it was a really good note 
is because you had to, to really tell the story about identity and desire. It had to not be obvious. Like if, if he was, let's just say he was poor. Okay. Let's just say that they, they were poor. Then it's like, well, of course, go back to your rich boyfriend, you know, like, of course you should be with him. Or like, maybe if he was making enough money that she could have a babysitter once in a while, like maybe she could have some time to herself or something like that would just make it a little bit too easy. And so to make it as sort of, you know, noisy, frankly, as we wanted it to be in terms of people talking about like, what's, what should she do? And, and what's the right way to to be or whatever, I think we had to, to really do that. And, and, and look, some of it is just like classic, um, you know, like drama twists. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that's part of what I also love. And, and it, it really, like, I, I came to, like, I, I think that there was a real opportunity to do it on Unreal. Like there were big twists and turns, you know, there were big risks that we took. Like I remember we had in the first season, one of the contestants jump off the roof, but in the middle of the first season, it wasn't like even a season finale or something. And then it was like, oh my gosh. And like, where do you go from here or whatever? And, and that was exciting to write that kind of, oh my God, television, you know? And so, um, and so like, that's what I was, that's what I was drawn to. Like at once, like when I read the book that inspired the series, you know, I connected to this one very specific, you know, passage in it that talked about this sort of identity crisis as the mom. And like, I have all these things and I have all these wonderful things. And then, you know, she says, but like, I still like want the orgasms to match the drapes. I think is how she put it in the book or whatever. <laughs> and, um, but I could understand that feeling of just like, okay, I was this person for so long and now I'm this person and who am I really? So there was that sort of very deep through line. And then on the top of it, it was like, and then he reads her journal and then he has sex with her. And then she goes to see her friend and then he's, she's dating the friend. And so like, there's the fun of that, you know, and just the twist sort of fun of that, you know, melded with the, like I said, the very soulful sort of premise yeah, first, yeah. that I really connected with. Yeah. I love Great. both of those sides. Yeah. Um, we have some um, audience questions. Um, okay, cool. Alexander asks, what advice do you have for any wannabe showrunners? And I think part of this is sort of understanding what a showrunner does as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> the, 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 the trick is that you need to get experience at all those things. And I will go through what they all are. And in today's world where that's not necessarily part of your job, it does mean finding a way to just ask, you know, if it is the showrunner of the show you're on or any showrunner you happen across ever, can I sit in on editing with you? You know, can I, um, you know, even just if you're saying, can I see the director's cut? Can I see the notes you gave on the director's cut? Um, can I see the notes you gave to the composer? Um, you know, uh, can I come to the sound mix? Because that's really the, the way that it used to be. And I just sound like such an old lady. They're like, I'm not I were doing this, but it was a real apprentice program, you know, and, um, and you would just go, I can remember Ed Redlick as I was saying my first showrunner just saying, we're going to editing. And it was my episode, you know, and he was like, so I was coming to editing with him. And then I, re I remember so clearly it was Halloween and he wanted to leave to go have Halloween with his kids. And he said, can you put the rest of these notes in? And I was like, oh my God, he's giving me a chance to do editing. <laughs> and like, that's, 
that's the way you would learn. And so it's not like we're just born or, or there's even a class that says, here's how you run a production meeting, or here's how you talk to the costume designer, or, or I mean, there is the showrunner training program at the Writer's School, which is an amazing program. Um, and certainly books written on the subject, but I just really think you got to learn by doing. And so, you know, and, and that's where it gets into very dicey territory, because what I'm basically suggesting is that you volunteer, you know, even when you're not getting paid to go and do those things or to observe. And I do understand that that is a very privileged position to be in, that you have time to do that. and You don't need to be like working on your next job or waitressing because you haven't gotten your next job yet. Like I fully get that, but I, but I really do think that's what you need to do. And then, you know, aside from, from, from editing and, and then the production stuff, it's also you're hiring writers, you know, that's, that's, you know, and then, and then, and then basically making whatever process was internal that you were used to like sort of figure out story yourself, you now have to say out loud so that they can understand what it is you need or want and, and what you need in the story. And that, you know, always, is sometimes more successful than others in terms of explaining or else so then you find yourself explaining something and then hear yourself and go, that's not right or whatever. But, but you know, um, and, 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 and then even in terms of hiring writers, it's like, how do you read a script and determine if you like this person's writing or not, or if they have ability or not. And that just comes again from doing, you know, and, and reading a lot of people. But, but I did have, I remember even when I hired an assistant one time, but someone who I didn't hire said, can you tell me why? can you tell me why you hired this other person? Which I thought was incredibly daring. And I really admired that, you know? Um, and not that, you know, not that I'm going to go around like breaking hearts all the time saying like you weren't this or that. <laughs> but I, I just do think like, it's really, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to sort of find out and, and figure these things, figure these things out. But it's also like when I wrote that first Law & Order, like the reason I wrote Law & Order is because, and this was like before the internet and everything like that, but it was like Law & Order was on some, one of those basic cable stations, like 50 million times a day. So you could just watch and watch and watch a million Law & Orders and you could break it down and say, oh, okay. And it's like also something that has a very basic structure. It's like, okay, the first half is the police and the second half is the lawyer. And then the, so like, watching television and really breaking it down and not just going like, I loved White Lotus. That was so great, you know, but really looking at it, like, what did they do, um, you know, character wise? Like, how did this episode end, you know, like, like sort of breaking it down and taking the time to break it down in that way. But I really hear you talking, yeah. which I think is so important for our listeners to understand, especially the new emerging writers, is the tremendous amount of skill set you have to have to run a show and just the layers and layers and layers of skill set you have to have. Does that mean you shouldn't go and try to want to be a showrunner someday? Absolutely not. But there is a reality to if you, you know, like you, you said that now people who are younger or more emerging, shall we say, than didn't, haven't had all those years working on shows or getting shows, they're getting them with showrunners because yeah. they can't do everything you're talking about. There have to be these more experienced people coming in. So I think there's this kind of, um, well, naivete, and I don't, that's not quite the right word, but like dream that it's my show, it's my creation, and that's it, right? But that even, even when you are the showrunner and you have all the experience, there's still executives. There are still people oh, yeah. too that are coming in and giving advice or let's say what they like or what they want. I mean, it is still always a very collaborative experience. Um, I mean, a tremendous amount of skill, which I think is yeah. when you, when you do start a room, 
um because we do have somebody who asked about um staffing like if you're it was your first day on uh, on the job let's say one of our listeners is there anything that you love when your your writers do or like just like please don't do that um well, you are in a room right now so maybe you don't want to say that but um, oh no I can say because I have an amazing room of amazing writers but um who all do things I love almost 99.9 percent .9 of the time now I mean I think the biggest thing is to come in with a lot of ideas and never get discouraged if those ideas are turned down and to come in the next day with a whole bunch of ideas. And I, I think that it's good to write those down even, you know, if the, if the person, like I've had writers who will even email me and say, you know, um, you know, uh, this is the pitch that I was thinking of or whatever, even I, I've, I have had our writer's assistant do that or my own assistant do that. And then, you know, if it's good, like I'll bring it into the room, but it's like, whether it's written, even if it's in the room saying like, okay, I write, I wrote this stuff down just so that I would have it or whatever. Cause especially if you get nervous or, or whatever, but, but that means you are working your butt off. That means you are going home at the end of the night, you are thinking about what happened in the room and you are coming up with more ideas and solutions because I will say that what Ed Redlick taught me, like, or, or, you know, originally is the stuff I still think, which is you just are an idea machine. You just keep coming in with ideas, even if they get shot down, you're never upset or offended or, or shitty in any way about your ideas. Like you just keep coming back with more ideas and you are willing to be there with a smile on your face, you know, the whole time that the showrunner is there. And, and I understand like sometimes with shitty showrunners that means it's until midnight um but but like the showrunner is under so much stress and has so much riding on this and it is the most important thing you know to this showrunner right now and so you should behave similarly you should behave as if it is the most important thing to you too and I know that is hard and not popular in this time where you know people obviously have families there's a lot of talk about work-life balance and all that kind of stuff, but I just think you got to be willing to work your ass off, you know, and put in the extra time and just show like, I may not be getting what you want right now, but each day that I come back, I'm going to try to get closer and closer to what it is. And even if I don't, I am not going to stop pitching. I'm going to keep giving you ideas, you know, after idea, that's, that's what I would do. And, 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 you know, it's, it, there's always a thing in the room of like, Am I talking too much? Should I talk now? When should I talk? <laughs> that kind of thing. And I just think even saying it, like I just said, it is great, you know, with some humor and some lightness and saying, am I talking too much? You know, or, or just say it privately to the showrunner too, or, or, you know, because like, if you had a room of five people who all were like, I had my pieces of paper and all my stuff and then that's what you made me pitch all my stuff. And then it's just like, okay, just, just stop for one second. Let's just talk. Cause I'm also the person who's like, I want to consider these things or whatever. So, so you have to like balance it, you know, but look, even if you don't get your ideas that you had on your piece of paper out every day, you've got your piece of paper, you've got ideas, you know, you're not just like, like if I've said at the end of the day, like we really need to figure out X, Y, or Z, the people who come in with an idea of how to solve X, Y, and Z are my favorite people. Yeah, know, that's so. such good advice. That is such yeah. good advice. Yeah, really good advice. Um, what? Uh, so when you have notes come in from whatever source, how do you figure out sort of what quote hills to die on, mm -hmm. right? How do you ne negotiate that? 
Yeah, well, that's a very good one. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really important to take some time and not respond right on the call. <laughs> and I know everyone always says that and it seems so obvious so that anyone so listening hard. to this yeah, would say like, of course, I'm not going to, I'm going to say the classic, let me think about that or let me take a look at that or whatever. But then you're in the moment and it's the thing that was so important to you and you find yourself going, but, but let me just explain to you why I'm doing this or whatever, you know? Um, and I've found that a lot of executives are now um, sending notes in writing which I find interesting, but also helpful for the do not respond right away thing. Because even if you find yourself watching Friday family movie night with your kids, when that email comes in and you find yourself responding on your phone to the email, because you can't help yourself while you're watching, you can realize I am not going to send this email right now. I'm going to put this aside. Um, but um I, I will tell you, I have not said this publicly before, but I will tell you that the naked shower scene in season one of Sex Life was one of my hills to die on. And uh, the reason I felt so strongly about it was, um, first of all, this was a, a, a show that is about female desire and the female gaze and... Um, and I, and I just thought it's coming from such a character place. Like it was not like we thought, how can we make a shocking moment? Oh, let's have a naked penis. How can we get a naked penis in our show? That's not at all how it came about. It came about because we were like, okay, now Cooper, the husband is going to become obsessed with the ex-boyfriend. And so where does that take us? He's stalking him now. Okay, now he's stalking him. Like, where does that take us? And then it was like bit by bit, we were like, oh my God. And then he's going into the gym. Oh, he's going to go into the shower. Oh my God, he's going to look. So it's coming from such a character place for me. So I was like, this really makes sense to me. And then finally, I was like, if this is really female desire and the female gaze, there's so much female nudity. There has to be at least one shot of, of male nudity in it, you know, and they weren't certain. And there seems to be a lot of interesting opinions about wh whether women actually like seeing penises or not. And I was like, you know, the heterosexual women that I know seem to enjoy it. But, um, but I was like, I, I said those words. I said, this is my hill to Zion. It was one of them. I will say it's not the only hill to Zion, but it was one of them. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, it turned out to be like this big TikTok meme and, and all of this stuff, which of course they love now, but, but, um, but there were definitely conversations with my writers and with my producer, you know, my writer, producer, directors, you know, before I wrote back and said, this is my hell to die on, you know, um, cause I will say there was another flash of, um, male nudity in an earlier episode that did get cut out. Um, and I was okay with that, but then I was like, but the shower needs to stay, you know? So, so I do think, um, taking the time and then frankly, if you write back, <laughs> um, it forces you to be also more thoughtful about your reasons why, and then at least they can see that in writing and then you can have a conversation about it, you know, but I'm under no, like, like this is show business, you know, and these are people who are, you know, putting up a great deal of money to, you know, make these shows. And I, there was no point where I thought like, well, I'm definitely going to be victorious. Like I definitely <laughs> was like, I'm going to, I'm going to fight this fight, you know, but you always have to know, like, if you don't want to have to 
collaborate or get approval or whatever, like go write a novel, you know, or right. something, a poetry or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I do think, I agree with you. I do think there's this idea that you get to be the showrunner, you created a show <laughs> and it's all you, right? I think I've, I think we've tried our best to disabuse people of that notion, right? And I, but I think it, it's this sort of, um, it's tough to imagine that like, you're going to get noted, you're going to be challenged, you're going to have to defend yourself all the time. But oh, you're yeah. also going to have to find a way to do what you say, right? Which is what, write it down, take your time, articulate what it is, actually maybe discover what it is that's so important to you while you're writing, while you're sorting yeah. it through rather than responding on the phone. Yeah. And I always do try to see how it could be. Like, you know, cause even like when you get a note that you don't like, you need to go back into the writer's room and all your writers are up in arms too. And going like, we love this for good reason or whatever. But I always say like, let's just see how it could be. What would that look like if it, if it was like that, you know? And, and I do have to say, I think across the board, it's like, it's terrible to say this or admit this, but every note that I've gotten I, from anyone, from executives, actors, directors, whatever, I feel like has improved the material because it does exactly what you're saying. It forces you to go back and say, what, is, what am I trying to say here? How is it not quite clear? Or what, what are these people bumping on? Like how, how could it be otherwise? And then, and then you sort of discover what is your, your line in the sand, you know? And, um, and what is the thing that like, would make you walk I don't know I mean it's like to walk away from a show but like what is and maybe there isn't one you know but um but I know what it is you know for for sex life like I, I don't know if I want to say because like let's hope in however many seasons of the show I get to do that I never have to go like well I lay down and <laughs> let them cross that line or whatever but but I certainly have my like idea of what that is now yeah that's awesome I think one of the the biggest challenges for me and my first time show running is trusting my instincts, but then being able to articulate them in a way that communicates them to everybody else. So it's not just, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I can defend yeah. it. It's the right thing to do. It's like, here's why I'm doing this. Here's why I want it this way. And then even discovering like, oh, I guess it could be this other way. But like that development has been is a different part, a different muscle, a different storytelling muscle, right? The producing management side that, that sort of realizing like, I can't just trust myself that I know the story. Right, right, you have to look, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I will just say also, challenges of being a first time showrunner are you're also a first time female showrunner. And, you know, there is this unconscious bias. I do still believe that people don't feel trusting of like a woman who's leading them at the helm as they would have you know with a, a dude or I don't know maybe an older dude I, I don't know maybe they trust young dudes now too but um but and also if you are gonna really fight for something you risk being called difficult and um you know I can tell you like we we had a lot of female directors on Unreal we had all female directors on Sex Life I can tell you for Sex Life every single one of the female directors that we called around to ask for recommendations on someone dinged them someone said oh they were difficult or oh you know they did this or that every single one there wasn't one female director where people were just like she's amazing we love her like so they were always dinged by someone and I was like well and then you have to sort of 
parse what that means, you know, and, and everything. But so unfortunately, that's another thing that you have to think about is that like, you find yourself, you know, and I can remember a moment of this on Unreal, like really fighting up for a story point on this speakerphone, you know, with the network and saying like, this is anti-feminist and, you know, all this stuff about what it was. And then you hang up the phone and you go, oh my God, no, they're going to think I'm difficult. And now I'm never going to get hired again. And da, da, da. And so that is a real balancing act too. I got to say, you know, I wish that I could say. Which goes that? back to, which, but it goes back that, to yeah. wanting, right? Like if you want too much, if you're too much, then you're difficult or you're ungrateful. You're not nice, right? Yeah. I think women have been so, our world has been so ingrained that women have to be passive aggressive to get what they want. And yet I think that's horrible. I, I When I work with women, I, I really, I'd write, just tell me what you want versus the passive aggressive behind the back. Like, just what do you want? It's, you're, you're, you're kind of damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. It's really, it's a, it's a tricky thing, but I do think it's getting better and better. I think the respect for women is rising. I think the more sure. the more women like you, Stacey, who are out there doing the job at such a high level, at such a high caliber, doing it, I've been in your rooms, doing it with compassion and incredible intelligence at the same time, um, I found it a joy to be on your writing staff. Um, and so, I, you know, the more of you there are, the better it's going to get for the younger females coming up. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Well, because I will say like, it's one thing about the showrunner skill that I didn't mention before, which is that you are uh, going from being a writer to being a manager. And that was another thing that was good that like, I, I, I had a lot of experience because I had been in a lot of rooms that weren't awesome. And so I knew how I wanted those rooms to be run, you know, and then um, uh, like, you know, when sort of the Me Too stuff happened and like, and, and, and we were on Unreal, then it was about, you know, cause you always sort of make a little speech to your writer's room at the beginning of, well, you should, um, at the beginning of the room to say like, this is how I want the room to go and, and respect and, and, you know, things like that. Um, but then now you got to do it with your, your cast too. And you're in charge of so many people and so many personal dynamics. And if like crew members are not getting along with each other, or there's, you know, someone's bullying or, or, or whatever it is, it's like, this is your responsibility now too, you know? And so that's, that's something there is no training for either, quite frankly. It's just like, that is being a mom, actually. I think <laughs> being a mom is good training for that um, because you are kind of taking care of everybody and their, you know, anxieties or difficulties or, or whatever. But, you know, yeah, that has nothing to do with writing, but it is, you know, it's important to me, you know, it's, 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 I care deeply about creating a good environment for everybody, you know, and, um, uh, and I think others people should too. And you're good and you make decisions. The other thing I watched you do was be able to make a choice. I'll never forget standing in the costume (laughs) truck and they're like, well, would she wear this dress blouse or this blouse? And I was so overwhelmed with so many things that I was like, ah, ah. They were like, well, which is cooler? Which was more hip? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just in there. And you walked in and I was like, Stacy, you are incredibly beautiful and hip and cool. Which of these blouses? And you were like, oh my God, totally that one. That is the blouse. And you were just so kind and just got everybody pumped up and inspired. And you're like, that's the blouse, let's go. And it like, oh, you have to make a choice all the time too. You're constantly making choices to keep the train moving. And that's why you have to know your show. And, you know, you're just, you're just, you know, one of the best at it, in my opinion, but thank you so much for coming on our show. We do always ask 
three questions at the end. Oh, that okay. we end each time. So we're going to ask you some questions. Jeff's going to ask the first one. Okay. I need to remember what the first one is. I've got my rundown right here. Okay. Um, what brings you the most joy when it comes to writing? Um, does it have to be actually in the process of writing? Because the no. thing that gives me actually the most joy is when you hear from people, whether it is, as you were talking about earlier, Meg, your manager, your, your, your reps, or, or, or if it is strangers who write to you and talk about a moment, um, that that's really what we're doing is we're creating moments all about it landing over there with that person and creating an effect with that person. And to hear that you actually did, um, that to me is the most amazing part. Agree. And Lorraine's going to ask right. number two. What pisses you off about writing? <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. It's like a Jenga thing, you know, like that game where it's like, if you pull one string, then the whole thing falls apart, you know, and it's the if then that that is, it's really hard. It's like, um, and I always say like the worst thing you can do if you're in that stage of trying to break story and figure it out is like, go watch your friend's um, premiere of their film or something because then you're seeing something that's totally done, totally in like a perfect finished product. And you'll just be like, I'm never going to get to that. And I actually had that experience with I May Destroy You. I watched the entire thing, binged it on a plane when I was coming back and we were just in post-production. Like I wasn't even in the story breaking part, but we were in post-production still trying to like figure out the show. And I was like, well, I'm never gonna make anything that good. <laughs> like, you know, um, it's very challenging to watch good television while you're trying to make your own television. But look, it is, it is hard. It is really hard. And, um, and that is, and you know, it's just, just figuring out how all the pieces go together and the if then of it all, you know? And I, and I do think that um, people should just acknowledge more like the head banging, frustrating, sweating, crying, yeah. whatever part of it. <laughs> the many, many drafts part of it. All right, yeah. last question is, um, if you could be remembered for one scene you've written, which one would it be and why? Oh, well, I only have my most recent show, of course, most on my mind, and that's my own baby, you know, and um, I will defend the ending that has been controversial till my dying day, because I believe that it was not only dramatic in terms of like, if she had just decided to stay with her husband, like, okay, I'm going to make it work with my husband then there's for sure no season two, you know? And so it's dramatic and then it's cinematic because she's running through the streets of New York and you've got the lights and the dresses going and, and all of that. But it's also a woman saying, it's not enough. You know, what you're trying to tell me is enough, is not enough and I want more. And it is celebrating or at least allowing for appetite <laughs> and and um and to say like it's okay to question your life and to question what everybody tells you is supposed to be fine and to say I want more and um and to run through the streets of New York to try to get it <laughs> in a very glamorous sort of way awesome. um so I you know I I I love it. And I can remember like the moment when I first saw it in the director's cut and it gave me goosebumps. And I was like, you know, that's pretty great. I mean, like, I will also say like going from like 
a dude putting his mouth on her boob to like a baby breastfeeding her boob at the very beginning of the show is like probably my second favorite. So, um, um, but but in a more meaningful way, it's it's Billy really breaking free from those societal constraints yeah, and so her own constraints. Beautiful. So Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What an amazing show. Thank you so much for being on the show, Stacey. Uh, It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much to Stacey Rukeyser for coming on our show. What a brilliant conversation. I feel like I just had so many takeaways. And uh, in case you guys didn't hear, Netflix actually did renew Sex Life for season two. So congrats to Stacey and the whole team. We can't wait to see what you guys cook up in that room. Um, as always, we are so grateful for our listeners. That's all of you listening right now. And to those who write reviews, uh, it really, really helps our show. If you haven't yet, we would love it if you guys could hop on Apple Podcasts and write us a five-star review. Uh, we have a very ambitious goal of trying to reach 1,000 reviews by the end of the year. Uh, it's coming quicker than we thought, but still we have a couple months and I think we can do it. So if you haven't yet, we'd really appreciate it. And the reason we ask for this is because as a missional podcast, these Apple Podcasts reviews help us find more listeners. And what we want to do is enrich the lives of as many writers as we can. So writing a review helps us reach that goal and we really appreciate it. All right, I want to start with this review from CatCatCat21 who says, so generous and real. Thank you for giving listeners a look behind the curtain at Pixar, a reality check on your screenwriting lives and a masterclass on writing story, plus the encouragement to keep going. And amazing guests, you've already given so much to the world with your writing. So thanks for giving so much more through your podcast. Oh, I love that review. Cat Cat, thank you so much. And what a perfect summation of all that we're at least trying to do on this show. All right, up next we have Brohim who says, Thank you, Megan Lorian. Your podcast is an absolute godsend, and I'm not even religious. A very wise screenwriting buddy of mine put me onto this, and it's changed everything. There are a lot of screenwriting podcasts out there that talk about the craft, but this goes beyond that to the stuff that matters. The lava. OMG, the lava. Thank you. That's exactly right. That lava is really the uh, lifeblood of our show. So thanks for recognizing that. Finally, Agent H21 says, Screenwriting Soul Food. Years ago, when I was a fledgling writer, I went on a general meeting with Meg LaFoe while she was running Jodie Foster's company. And I remember thinking, if only all of the executives could be like her. In those days, they most certainly were not. There were so few women in power and female-driven stories were ignored and derided. Things are changing for the better, but the male perspective is still strong in Hollywood, and that includes the screenwriting podcast world. I listen to a bunch of other screenwriting podcasts of male writers who generously give their time, but the trouble is, at the end of these shows, though I may have gleaned useful information, I'm often full of anxiety and actually feel worse about the business. Meg and Lorian do the opposite. Their perspective is holistic and deeply empathetic. After every episode, I feel validated and inspired, and they seem like genuinely good people who attract good people as guests. I'm hooked. Well, thank you so much. Uh, That is truly our goal with the show, is to make you all feel more excited and more empowered to write rather than more afraid of it. So glad to hear that we're doing our job and uh, we'll see you next week on the show. And for all of you listening as well, we will see you next week. We have an amazing interview with veteran TV writer Sean Prezant, who has worked in pretty much every genre from reality to kind of multi-camp sitcoms to kind of a prestige crime drama he's on right now. So he can talk about sort of what the signature themes in our writing are that can carry us into different genres. And if you're one of those writers who feels like you haven't nailed exactly what your voice is, Sean can speak to sort of how we find that. So it's an amazing interview, and we'll see you next week for the show. Of course, until then, you are not alone, and keep writing.